Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. Joining me around the table today is Ryan Kent. Hey. Paddy Higgs. Hello. And Nico Durbin. Hi. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the rise of China and what that means for Europe. We're also going to chat about football's best temper tantrums. We're also going to be talking to our special guest from the Yellow Wall about Dortmund's exploits in Europe during the week. We start off on a somber note today, I'm afraid. Football as we know it is dead. It's done. No more. Kaput. Or at least that's the tone that some of the European press have been approaching the growing influence of China on the European League after their big spending in the January transfer window. Of course, there's a delicious irony in rich European clubs who have taken players off other clubs, complaining about other richer clubs taking players from them. But what a pretty interesting list it is. Uh, on there is Alex Teixeira, Joe, Jackson Martinez, Ezekiel Lavazzi, Gal Kakura, Stefan Mbia, Gervinho Ramirez, Freddy Guarin, and of course Nikita Jelovic. Uh, and rumoured, most interestingly, to be joining them this summer is the England and Manchester United captain, Wayne Rooney. Ryan, where has all this come from and is it pie in the sky or is this idea real as steel? I can see where it's coming from from China, to be honest. The president is a huge football fan. The players that they've bought in the Chinese Super League over the past few months have been you know, well-known stars in Europe. The Rooney rumour, I don't think... Well, in a word, no, it's not going to happen. Um, several factors, really. I think Rooney's family, I think uprooting them to China... Especially, he's got three young kids. Chinese Chinese culture is so much different from English culture. I think they'll struggle. I don't think his his kids will be very interested in a move there. He's going to know they're going to know nobody. Um, you know, he's still captain of Manchester United. It's still one of the biggest clubs in the world. He's thirty years old, and I think apart from the wages that he's going to get in China, he's going to be living in obscurity. You know. People in Europe, we don't watch Chinese football. There's no Chinese football on TV, as far as I know. Um, so he, he's going to disappear for a couple of years. Um, I, a couple of points. I, I certainly, um, yeah, I think that's some pretty good arguments about why he might not end up there. But um, surely the obscurity part might be a good thing for, for the Rooney family. I mean, specifically for Wayne. I mean, um, you would imagine that he's quite sick of being on the front and back of newspapers, as he has been for many, many years. Um, so potentially it's a way out of the spotlight, especially you know his time at Manchester United lately has has not been probably very enjoyable for him. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a way to escape this a little bit. He also looks like he'd enjoy a Chinese on a Friday night. So <laughs> um, you know maybe there's a couple of you know positives to come out of it and move down there. The one thing that makes me think he won't do it, or at least not this season that he won't do it, is that I think he's five or six goals off um, overtaking Bobby Charlton as Manchester United's top scorer. That might take him out of three seasons at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it just strikes me as the that strikes me as the sort of record he would really strive for. And I think that close Yeah. yeah. But what about what about the national team? I mean, wouldn't leaving exactly, to China yeah. mean that he's out of the national team? Well Robbie Keane plays for Ireland and he travels from Los Angeles. That's gotta be a similar well, but then, similar flight. But then we we have to discuss the topic MLS versus the Chinese Super League at this point. And I think, you know, again, going back to your points, Ryan, um, a few years ago when, when China tried to, you know, 
bolster the, the, the personality of the league by bringing in Samuel Eto'o and a couple of other guys. The league wasn't ready. They didn't have the infrastructure. They basically mm-hmm. thought by throwing enough money at these big players and then dumping them in China that the money would be enough for them to settle. It, it clearly wasn't because they were back. Yeah. Drogba as well, they were back pretty quickly. They're changing that now. They've actually, they're importing the right coaches as well as the big name players. Mm-hmm. So straight away, the football experience is better for these players. Um, and at the same time, the club is also creating a bit of a, um, the infrastructure that the, uh, that the players need to, to relax, to feel at home, you know, mm. in these places as well. So it is changing from a culture point of view. Whether or not it's uh, still enough for the Rooney family is it remains to be seen, I guess. Yeah, I think one more point I had was like, I think, you know, he's 30 years old now, Rooney. I think he's got one World Cup left in him, mm-hmm. perhaps. So I think if he's, like Nico said, if, he's goes, if he goes to China, then there's a possibility that he's going to kind of drop away from the awareness of, you know, English football fans. And I think he could... He could maybe want to stay here for another couple of years to sure. make that World Cup. Well, if I if I remember it right, uh, Rooney signed a new contract just one and a half years ago with Man United for four years. So that means um, that's until the end, more or less, uh, of the next World Cup. So does that mean maybe maybe the interest, maybe the rumors are coming from the other end? They're coming from Man United, um, since they're in contact with so many players and they're, uh, um, yeah, let's say commercially and capitalistic driven team maybe they want to cash in before they don't can yeah it's interesting that you say this because Woodward does quarterly financial calls with the investors and he was asked recently in the latest one about China and he said China would be a good place for us since we could sell players there Mm. there you are (laughs) it's a business isn't it (laughs) Paddy do you think it will go through um, I'm actually a bit more open to it than I think most people are. I mean, it's a bit of the Leicester rule, isn't it? That we've kept writing Leicester off at the top of the Premier League table for um, so long. And then the next, you know, at the same time, the next big player that gets linked with China, we're like, oh, that will never happen. And of course, you know, it, it has been happening. So um, I think it's more likely than people believe. Um, but Ryan also has some, some really good points. And I think the, uh, the national team point in particular um, might keep Rooney in, in England for a bit longer. Nico, you've been reading up about where all this money and all this interest has suddenly come from in China. Can you tell us a bit about it? Well, the money comes from uh, uh, all the citizens that, that there are in China, right? They're huge corporations. They're, they're basically monopolies. doesn't matter what the names are. They're quite generic anyways. Um, but they're huge media conglomerates and they have that sort of money. And they have a stock of, of market where they can sell all that content to of billions of citizens. Um, and, and that's how such a centralized uh, um, country just runs. If you tell them what they have to watch and have to like, more or less, then that's what they watch and that's what they like and buy. So that's where the money machine is running. And um, yeah. And the interest is coming from the president as well. Well, yeah, it's, it's definitely top down. Like pretty much everything is top down in China. And um, he has, the, he has the interest in, in football. I don't know if it's in football or more kind of in Western society and Western culture. And he tries to, you know, keep China financially and commercially open to it. Um, but at the same time, um, culturally, he, he wants to keep his China rather closed. Um, so he wants to import it. 
um, I guess, to a certain extent. He did. I don't know if anybody saw this, but he posed for a selfie with Sergio Aguero and David Cameron. Yeah, recently. I did see that. Yeah, he yeah, saw yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> Very awkward. I mean, it's it's you, you also see Dennis Rutman watching NBA games or basketball, I guess, basketball games with the, uh, the president of, of North Korea. You know, so he's not the only president of uh, Asian country. I don't want to compare North Korea to China at this point, but you know, there is interest from uh, Asian countries in those Western football and countries. To me, though, what kind of happens if the next president comes in? He has no interest in football. Does the infrastructure in Chinese football disappear? Sure. Is it a fad at the moment? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, remains to be seen, doesn't it? But it's uh, it's it's you know, going back to your initial point, Ian. I think the fact that everyone's up in arms about this big uh, movement, um, yeah, it, there's, a little, there's a real taste of uh, irony to it, that's for sure. There is. One of the more interesting aspects is also how these are players that are going there, the players that we listed earlier, these are players in their prime. These are 29-year-olds, these are 28-year-olds, players like Gervinho has been playing regularly for Roma, Joe was uh, in the 2014 Brazil squad, Teixeira was wanted by Liverpool, these are players who are really decent players, and all and Levetsi, you know, these are players, but they're going for like huge, huge sums. To me, that's quite interesting. Absolutely, Ramirez as well has come straight from um, from the Chelsea first team. So, um, you know, these are some some interesting players that are going there for sure. Yeah, we've seen the impact on the European market. Paddy, you have some thoughts on how it's going to affect Asia and Australia? Yeah, I mean, throughout Asia, there's generally the rule that you can, you know, the amount of imports that you can have is is capped. Um, and then, um, because of an AFC um, regulation as well, there's the plus one rule where you can have one more foreigner that's um, an Asian um, as well. So not necessarily um, a, a local Asian, so in this, in this case a Chinese player, um, but someone from elsewhere in the uh, Confederation. So we're seeing actually a lot of Australians sort of come in on the, on the I wouldn't say the coattails, but you know, at the same time, they're not coming from the Chelsea's of the world either. Um, a fellow like Trent Sainsbury, who's come from FC Twol in the Eredivisie, um, was just making his name after a few injuries in the first team. This is a player they got for 135,000 euros two years ago. They just sold him on for a million euros to uh, Jiangsu Suning. He's going to be playing alongside Ramirez and Teixeira as well. So it's, uh, it's an interesting time for Australian players. There's a lot of money there. He's 24 years old, so potentially could have been looking at a, at a long career in Europe. But at the same time, you know, a couple of years um, in China and he's, he's set up his career. Tim Cahill, of course, has been there for a while. He's been pushed out of his current club. Oh, sorry, his former club, Shanghai Shenhua. Um, he'll probably end up staying there as well. But, you know, he got pushed out for Oberfemi Martins. It's, it's just an interesting little game of checkers down there and seeing how the players are moving around. Is it a good thing or a bad thing for Australia? Because you, on one hand, they're going from stronger leagues in Europe to the Chinese league. But in the Chinese league, they could be playing alongside players of, you know, of a higher standard than they were playing with on a regular basis in Europe. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one because obviously we, we consider the Eredivisie to be one of the top five leagues in Europe. But at the same time, at the bottom end of that... Um, the quality is probably a bit negligible when it comes to other Asian leagues. And, you know, if China has the aspirations of joining the, the K League and the J League in being among the better leagues in, in Asia, then, um, to be honest, that's comparable with the, the lower end of the Eredivisie or, or Belgium or Austria or something like that. So, potentially, if this works out and this continues, they're going to be playing in as good a league or perhaps better because of the infrastructure as well um, in the future anyway. Everywhere. 
In other news this week, Cristiano Ronaldo gave his first press conference in 28 months. Uh, there's a couple of things I found interesting about this. First of all, that polo t-shirt he was wearing. Did anybody see this? Yeah. Nope. This might have been the tightest polo shirt of all time. It was literally welded onto his arms. It looked like the slightest flex and the thing was just going to rip apart Incredible Hulk style. That was one thing, that was the first thing I noticed about this press conference. Yeah, I mean, there were a few others. You mentioned Incredible Hulk. There were times when he may have felt a bit of rage in this press conference, I think, Ronaldo. He just seems a bit, a bit grumpy at the moment, you know? He's uh, he, a couple of moments when he was answering questions about his relationship with Gareth Bale and, and um, Karim Benzema. Um, there's a, there was another moment, of course, when he ended the press conference quite abruptly when he was questioned about his, his away goals record of, of late. He just doesn't seem in a good mood. I mean, maybe it's the Ballon d'Or, you know, losing out to Messi. We all know that, that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is an extremely driven individual. Um, he does put a lot of value in personal um, accolades, as well as team ones, of course. Um, he pretty much meshes those together. Um, but he just doesn't seem himself this, on Cristiano. This got my goat. Him walking out of the press conference when being questioned about his away goals record. This really gets my goat. The, basically, for those of you who missed it, Ronaldo was said, or Ronaldo was asked, hey, you haven't scored an away goal since the 29th of November against Ibar. And that's a fact. That, that is a fact. Correct. And this isn't like uh, this isn't like a criticism or anything like that. That's just a fact. You ha you haven't done it, Ronaldo. What do you think is wrong? And he responded with all the grace of a of a child who was told they had too much chocolate. Well, at least he did. I mean, he asked a question in return, and the journalist wasn't able to answer that. So you have got two questions, no answers. Time to end the press conference. <laughs> yeah, it's over. And the great reaction of Zidane too. Yeah, I mean, he uh, he just chuckled. Um, you know, Zidane, of course, is not renowned for his cool reactions all the time, um, as we saw towards the end of, or by the end of his career. Yeah. Um, but I think he saw the, the humour in it for sure. Going back to what you said about uh, his words about Bale and Benzema, where he said, well, look, basically, I don't have to be friends with these guys off the pitch. I don't, they don't have to be coming around to my house for tea we, once we do it on the pitch. And then he said about, uh, he talked back about his Manchester United days, and he said, well, look, I only ever had small talk with Scalzi and Giggs and Rio. Look, we won the Champions League. Does that seem odd to you? It seems a bit odd to me. I think you've got to understand that, I mean, we, we all understand that Cristiano Ronaldo is, is a completely different um, person. You know, he's, he's just a, a complete individual. Um, the pressure he puts under his, uh, he puts himself under is immense. And I think the pressure he puts his teammates under is immense as well. And to be honest, when guys can't perform like he wants them to, he probably views them as failure. And so why would he want to invite that failure around for dinner? You know? <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's just the way, it's just how driven he is. And I think um, you've got to take the good with the bad with Renato. Of course, you can't excuse every piece of behaviour he's, he's ever had. Um, but I think that probably sums him up. He doesn't, he seems like a bit of a loner, particularly in a, in a team environment, um, even though, you know, that, you know, that success is so important to him. But I think that's the reason. In line... Of football and temper tantrums. Uh, does this go down as your favourite football temper tantrum, Ryan? It's a good one. It's not the best. Um, there has been a few over the years, obviously. I think, for me, the one that stands out has to be the Yaya Torre birthday incident. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you begin with this? Like, <laughs> You have like the greatest, probably, African player in the Premier League at the time. It was his birthday, apparently, and 
there was some incident with a, a birthday cake or lack of birthday cake. Um, and I think he felt quite disrespected from Manchester City. There was a great quote actually from his agent um, who actually said uh, that none of them shook his hand on his birthday, it's really sick. <laughs> <laughs> a grown man crying about not getting a birthday on his birthday, or not getting a birthday cake on his birthday. I can relate actually. Really? Yeah, there's, well, similar incident, like maybe 15 years ago I had a birthday and no one turned up. Oh. Did you forget to invite everyone? Or you... <laughs> I think they were just too lazy. That was... <laughs> That's why you ended That's up in what... Germany, right? Yeah. 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 I've stopped having birthdays since. <laughs> Paddy, your favourite footballer temper tantrum? I mean, there's plenty of... I wouldn't say this was my favourite. It's probably one of my more recent favourites because you can think of looking back through Trapattoni stands out and which one of course but um, Serge Aurier from PSG just recently has been caught on Periscope which I think is a, a new one you know Periscope obviously just out and um, there hasn't been too many uh, footballers caught on live on Periscope um, just yet so he was caught um, in a cafe by a fan and was pretty much quizzed on some of his teammates and his coach Laurent Blanc and um, didn't hold back, I think would be the best way to say it. Um, called uh, Di Maria a clown, um, in, in, insinuated, <laughs> no, not insinuated, pretty much said that uh, Blanc favours Ibrahimovic over everybody else in the squad. And uh, what he said about Blanc, I can't actually say probably on a, on a podcast, but it was uh, pretty homophobic, which is not very funny, and, and as a consequence, he's been suspended. So... Um, yeah, I mean he's a great player. Serge Aurier is the, he's the you know probably one of the better right backs in Europe at the moment. But um, he's a lot better with his uh, foot than he is with his mouth. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Nico, uh, mine actually had a happy ending, and um, it happened 40 years ago. Um, and in a nutshell, it was uh, a German player, Günther Netzer, who already signed at Real Madrid when he was still playing for Mönchengladbach. Um, and he announced before the German Cup final that he signed with Real Madrid. So what happened that Hennes, Weiss, uh, Hennes Weisweiler, his coach back then, who was quite stubborn uh, man, um, he didn't uh, start him. He didn't start Netzer, the absolute star of German football. He was one of the first pop stars in Germany. So he didn't start him. And um, Mönchengladbach played, which is quite interesting, against Cologne, like rivals in Düsseldorf, which is in between Gladbach and Cologne. There's Düsseldorf. 20,000 people in the stadium. It's not even neutral territory for those two. Not at yeah. all. <laughs> it just makes it worse. When um, the 90 minutes are over, uh, one of the players seems a bit injured. And what Netza does is he denies to be, to be subbed in all 90 minutes. And then he doesn't go and ask uh, Hennes Weisweiler if he can play or whatever. He just goes straight in. It's like, okay, coach, I go and play now. And he just subs himself in. He plays three minutes in, second contact with the ball. He scores. Klapper wins uh, the German Cup and he leaves to Real Madrid. Yeah. So the moral of the story is players are always right, I guess. Yeah. I, I guess, I guess, I mean, it's 40 something years ago, yeah. but um, Netza is to some extent um, a Cristiano Ronaldo in, in that story. Sure. Um, so you have to give your most talented players a little bit of room. And I don't think that Ronaldo has that with uh, the press in Madrid. Um, Netza didn't have it. He just took it and he was right. Okay. Uh, we'll be talking to Stefan from the Yellow Wall and we'll be talking to him about Dortmund during the week and Gladbach just after this.
Joining us on the line from the yellow wall is Stefan Bosco. Uh, Stefan, on the face of it, playing Porto, a side who've had some decent success at home and in Europe over the last few seasons, that should have been a lot more difficult for Dortmund last night, but it was all a bit easy in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, hello. First of all, it looked very easy. I don't know how easy it was, considering that Porto had a very depleted defense and uh, had a very defensive approach, leaving Dortmund a lot of space. And everyone who watched Dortmund this year knows that they have uh, turned to a very possession-orientated side. And uh, now what they do when they get the space, they dissect the opposition and yeah, leave them no chance. I think it helped a lot that Nuri Shine returned to the surprise of most people because he was out injured for almost a whole year and uh, came back and played a very integral role because Ilkay Gündoğan, who usually is the key player in midfield for Dortmund, uh, was out with the flu and yeah, Dortmund just had so much possession and control and uh, you could see they didn't really run riot against Porto but rather controlling the match and uh, looking for openings but they didn't create too many chances but on the other end, Porto had none, barring one in the 80th minute. But uh, yeah, if you look at expected goal charts or so, I think the value was was around 0.1. And <laughs> that tells you more about Borussia Dortmund currently than about their offense because they scored 53 goals in the Bundesliga and all you hear in every preview is how prolific their offense is. But this has turned a little bit around. The balance shifted a bit in Dortmund and now... Uh, yeah, they managed to defend very, very well and leave Porto no chance at all in the game, which, you know, for the for the observer made it look very easy in the end. Um, so, yeah, it was a great European night, great choreo by the fans and Borussia Dortmund turned up and uh, I'm very positive about their rest of the EuroLeague campaign. But then again, you know, we never know how good Porto was on the day and... I think the return leg will give us a bit, little bit more insight on that because they had so many suspensions and injuries and both Pereiras will return for the yeah return leg and this will probably make a big difference. So they look comfortable right now being 2-0 up and one goal should take them through, I guess. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very of the trip to the Estadio do Dragao. Is there a worry that Dortmund failed to convert their superiority into more goals? I know Casillas pulled off a, a couple of good saves against Schmelzer, Mkhitaryan and Kagawa. Uh, but it probably it could have been a few more for Dortmund, no? Yeah, and I mean, it has always been the story for Dortmund that they have a tough time converting their chances. Although currently in the Bundesliga, I think they are still leading the efficiency list, so to speak. And... Uh, Usually that's down to shot position. Now, um, against Porto, I, I don't even think that converting the chances was the biggest problem. It was rather, you know, creating the opportunities when space was given. I think they just did too little, too little with uh, what they had when they won the ball against Porto. There were some, yeah, rather unintelligent runs by Kagawa or passes and uh, a lot of attacks broke down before they actually had to this is probably why Dortmund are currently more stuttering than uh, their chance conversion in the end because I think they did okay they had only six shots on target score two that's okay right uh, this weekend Dortmund are playing Leverkusen 
Um, so after Saturday's 2-1 win over Darmstadt, Leverkusen have gone a couple of games undefeated for the first time this season. They've got, I think they've got 14 points in their last 18. Are you worried about this one at all? <sighs> uh, well, considering if you look at the table that Borussia Dortmund are 13 points ahead third place Leverkusen, worry is a bit yeah too much, I guess. Obviously, they are a good side and on their day, they can beat anyone in the league. They uh, can even give FC Bayern a hard time with their high pressing. But uh, I think Bayer Leverkusen have problems against Dortmund. The return fixture or the reverse fixture showed that quite well. Borussia Dortmund comfortably won 3-0. I think Chicharito is out and basically Borussia Dortmund, especially with Nuri Schein being back now, I don't know if he can already play on Sunday, but... Be that as may, with Gunwan and Weigel in in midfield and and Hummels being in the form of his life currently, um, they can easily play around their first wave of pressing. And I know that as a Borussia Dortmund fan and a supporter of a team that played a very high and aggressive pressing throughout the past years, that uh, once your first wave of pressing is overplayed, you really struggle. And uh, I think this will be a key for Dortmund that they just. Uh, quickly get the ball out of the back and um, play through Bayer Leverkusen's midfield and then they are usually easily beatable because they are not a team that sits back too much against Dortmund. They do that a lot against Bayern but against Dortmund they always feel too confident and then end up losing. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to the game. I think it'll be very interesting from a tactical point of view but I'm not too concerned. I think Dortmund have enough to get through it. That is if they uh, actually turn up for the match because the Bundesliga has shown against Hannover, for example, that Dortmund already have their focus more shifted towards the cup competitions, be it the DFB-Pokal or the EuroLeague. So I don't know whether the occasion will be big enough for Dortmund to really show up. But uh, yeah, as I said, I'm rather confident about the match, especially with Chicharito being out. I think that's a huge blow for Leverkusen. Yeah, Stefan, um, just sort of looking at Leverkusen, um, you mentioned obviously with Hernandez out, um, they're quite a Jekyll and Hyde team to an extent. Uh, Roger Schmidt obviously has a big focus on um, attacking. Uh, when they're good, they're quite good, but when they're bad, there's a lot of holes um, potentially for, for Dortmund to exploit. Um, where do you think, I guess, is, there, is Dortmund's best key to unlocking Leverkusen? Well, as I said be before, I think... It's it's down to Hummels again and uh, Socrates or Supotic, whoever plays in, in central defense, to, to get the ball through the midfield quickly and uh, play play the ball out quickly to to the guys like Mikitarian or so in midfield. I think that will be actually the key to um yeah play around Leverkusen's first pressing line and um yeah say say. Grant or Bellarabi, who usually are up very high, they usually um, are easily outplayed <laughs> if, if uh, you know the, they press one side. And Bristol Dortmund have done it very well to shift the ball, uh, shift the ball laterally um, this season. And against Leverkusen, who are usually very extremely compact in one zone, leave a lot of space on the other side of the field. And uh, yeah. I think a couple of vertical passes will easily <laughs> play play over their midfield. Um, but yeah, that's that's just me looking at the tactic boards. Then again, I don't know how it will actually pan out on the field. 
That's great. Um, just moving forward, or sorry, moving direction uh, to another game in the league, probably the the, the, the game of the weekend, if you will. Um, Gladbach against Cologne on Saturday. Two um, you know rivals, of course, um, being from the same area in Germany. Um, there's a, a few, uh, I guess, stories that are, are you know coming our way about some um, two various protests. Um, what can you tell us about about that, and, and also I guess about that game because both sides are also quite close on the table. Yeah, well, <laughs> the the derby is usually a very interesting one, um, mostly dominated by Gladbach in the in the past, and um, yeah, it has kind of a it has a bit of a backstory because last season I think it was Cologne fans away to Gladbach who dressed in these uh, white disposable overalls and uh, went over the stands and, and looked for trouble, you know, ex ex uh, changing some fist fights with stewards, police and I don't know if other fans were involved. Um, in consequence, the next uh, home match for Cologne uh, was without the the ultra block basically in the in the sound stand of Cologne where the hardcore fans stand and there was completely empty, which was a little bit weird. And now um they they want to turn down the ticket allocation for Cologne fans away to Gladbach, uh from I think five thousand four hundred around or something to half. So around three thousand. And um yeah, they also think about personalized tickets and uh, what happens when uh, there are big changes to be made in German football is that fans tend to protest and uh, the irony here is um, that obviously Köln fans will protest in Gladbach <laughs> and uh, or as well I, I think it's in Gladbach if, if not just cut it out <laughs> And uh, what what they will do, they will boycott the match and uh, not not go there in protest of yeah the sanctions of what they actually provoked themselves. And uh, yeah, as I said, the irony here is that Gladbach ultras more or less uh, show some solidarity, even though they they obviously attend the match, they will not uh, yeah chant or cheer like it usually is in such a very aggressively led derby. So, um, yeah, even though they all misbehave in the end, those fans stick together for, for the greater cause in order to save their fan culture, even though, you know, they are basically the culprits of, of uh, yeah, ruin ruining it in a bit. And, yeah, if you look at the table, you just said that they are just three points apart. I don't know uh, for which team that, that's, that speaks highly because Borussia Mönchengladbach haven't been have been in the top four or, or close to the top four very, very uh, shortly, you know, just a couple of weeks ago. And then now they are already struggling again, having lost three in their last five. And yeah, the, the Favre effect or the Schubert effect, basically, they're, they are bo both paling currently in Gladbach, which is a huge worry for them because when, when Schubert came in, Gladbach uh, looked unleashed of Favre's very dis disciplined, it's compact system is four for two shaped passively. Yeah, it, it's a it's a four for two shaped passive system where Gladbach just waited and and looked for counterattacks and under Schubert they, yeah, adapted to a little bit more aggressive and a more pressing style and and now 
you know, in, in change of that, they lost the compactness and they are leaking goals. <laughs> and, and thus they are very, yeah, in danger to fall or plummet down the table. I think they just lost against Hamburg 3-2, which wasn't good. And Cologne, on the other hand, they, they managed to uh, snatch up results and uh, they are close together in the table now. But usually those teams are worlds apart in terms of quality on the field. But uh, it's it's funny how the Bundesliga yeah, turns out currently because Gladbach had a very topsy-turvy season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's an interesting match from a, a lot of different ways you can look at it. Um, just to wrap up, Stefan, we just want to um, go through our weekly uh, word association. So we've got five words. The rules are we've got five words. Uh, you don't, obviously don't know what the words are. Um, so they say. Yeah, we'd prefer if you just gave us a, a one-word answer um, in response. Um, so I'll get started now if that's okay with you. Sure. Okay. Uh, Lewandowski. World class. Guardiola. World class. Klopp. Also world class. You're going to have to get a little bit more creative on the last two, I think. Yeah, yeah well. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Tuchel. Damn it. <laughs> um, inspiring. And Bundesliga chances. Gone. Okay. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Stefan. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. That's all from us today. My thanks to Nico, Ryan, Paddy and Stefan. You can hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at OneFootball. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And don't forget to go to your mobile app store to download OneFootball and keep up to date with all the action. Enjoy your weekend. Bye.